Today's episode is an interview with Jordan Walk, who you might know as the original creator of React and the one who started the Reason Project. I think you'll be really interested to hear his thoughts on why Reason got started, where it's going, and also what you should consider if you are thinking of adopting Reason yourself. Before we get started, I'd like to thank TylerMcGinnis.com, our bandwidth sponsor, which provides the linear course-based approach to learning web technologies. Now, I've got a bunch of questions for you, Jordan, but first of all, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me, Jared. To, to start things out, I figure I'd just ask how and why did Reason get started? So as a lot of people know, I've always been a fan of the standard ML programming language, and it kind of opened my eyes to how a programming language can influence the way that you think about a problem, and it can help you create better software that is more stable and faster. And my eyes were open to this idea about the power of a programming language to shape how we think about things. And so that kind of started my, my fascination with the ML family of languages. And some of the original prototypes of React were written in standard ML. There were some problems that I couldn't get past when I was using standard ML to implement the, the React component model. Some static typing problems that I just, I wasn't prepared to be able to solve those problems at the time. But also one of the reasons why those were difficult was because I didn't have a lot of the language primitives built into standard ML that OCaml has to make some of these problems easier. And I didn't know OCaml at the time. But nevertheless, being able to model the React component API in this functional way using immutability helped me to understand the problem of composing React components together in a way that is elegant and expressive. So as you know, we ended up writing React in JavaScript just because at the time, JavaScript was the way that you would run anything on the web. Right. There wasn't really a great compilation story for taking standard ML and running it in the browser. And even if there was, you know, it would be a really hard sell. Right. This was back even before JavaScript bundlers had really taken off, right? Yeah. At the time, most people just thought of JavaScript as this thing that you write and then you run it directly in the browser. And the landscape for, for programming UI on the web was totally different and it was very HTML focused still. You know, the idea of yeah. rendering in a you know real programming, complete programming language, that wasn't really mainstream yet. Now React has blown mm -hmm. up and, and it's just kind of the default that you would build using something like React. It's just assumed. So in order to do this, a lot more focus was placed on the language that you're writing UI in um, on the web. So JavaScript has received a lot of attention. The community has just grown wildly, the number of bundlers, the number of tool chains, the number of build systems, compilers, static type systems laid on top of JavaScript without really ever fundamentally reevaluating the language itself that you're building on top of. But in doing so, in building up all of these tools that target JavaScript as a compilation target, it's kind of reset the precedent. The, the status quo now is that we're all using a compiled language to target the web. If you're using JSX because you like the syntax, you're compiling something, although it is a you know file-in, file-out compiler, you are doing a syntactic transform, and that is required in order to run in the browser, and always will be, as far as I know. Right. Yeah, so now there's this, um, in this more advanced landscape of, of targeting web, web browsers, you, you think it's time to, to bring in some more powerful languages? Well, yeah, so around the start of 2016, one of the things I started doing was taking a look at some of the harder remaining problems in React. 
Okay. What are some of the unsolved things? And, um, and some of those were when we spend time computing React rendering. So it's not necessarily that React would be too slow for every use case, but we're doing a lot of the work at really inconvenient times. And so I started looking at concurrency, which doesn't necessarily mean you know, running things on multiple CPU cores, but it just means interleaving the execution of two high-level tasks such that they appear to be happening simultaneously, even if they're not. Right. And so I started looking at how rendering of user interfaces could be done concurrently in a way that didn't impose a huge burden on the developer. This is a really hard problem to solve, and it's something that we're just now seeing materialize in, in the React API with fiber and with suspense. And so I was taking a look at this really hard problem, and I recalled back to when I was originally prototyping React and Standard ML and how the language could actually help me think about the problem. So I decided to take that similar approach to thinking about concurrency. And to do so, I picked up OCaml instead of Standard ML because by then it had emerged as the more supported, more invested in ML derivative. Okay. So yeah, I started uh, forming descriptions of these problems of concurrency and performing incremental work in terms of the language constructs. And it was an incredibly helpful tool for helping me to understand the problem, to model all the edge cases and the pattern matching that you get in OCaml was helpful in catching all of the corner cases that I hadn't thought about yet, because the type checker in OCaml, the pattern matching type checker, will point out when you've covered a case more than once, even though it may not be apparent, or it'll point out when you forgot to cover a case. And so I started modeling all the concurrent intermediate states in terms of variance and using pattern matching to operate on them. And it was really helpful in, in, um, in getting to the bottom of this concurrent UI problem. And when I would take this work and I would go show it to people, you know, I would see this kind of blank look on their face because it, to them, what they were seeing when I was writing OCaml was it just looked like an alien language to them right? because it really looks noisy to them. But if you're you know, an expert OCaml programmer, it looks beautiful and elegant. And if you were to look at JavaScript, it, it has all these braces and semicolons and it looks totally ugly. It's a perception thing. Right. And I realized that when I was writing OCaml or JavaScript, I'm kind of writing more or less the same language. I'm in my mind transforming it into this this uh, this OCaml ML style uh, language. Okay. But when other people see the code on the screen, they just don't see that same process because they have a different background. That's totally understandable. That's not wrong, right? People are shaped by their their introduction to programming or the set of tools that they already know. That's not wrong. It's just what we have to work with. So I realized that I could get a lot of people to more easily understand the ideas that I was putting forth in code if I could just improve the tool chain such that it would be more familiar, easier to use. And so that's when I started prototyping this variant of the OCaml grammar that was more JavaScript-like and incrementally moving towards that. And we started getting other developers inside of Facebook and, and outside of Facebook to help out with that and ship actual products with it start building out an ecosystem with React support. And we started collaborating with BuckleScript and, and Bob from BuckleScript to target the browser in a way that the output looks idiomatic and readable, and you can incrementally adopt it into your existing project. So all of these things started to form this more coherent reason tool chain that we use today. And it's continually evolving, of course. But the sum of all those parts was a really compelling stack for people who had existing projects. And that includes Facebook, 
but also all of the other companies that are also using Reason. Yeah, I I love that one of the main instigators was th this recognition that people come from different backgrounds and there there are surface level changes you can make to to make this language so much more accessible to them. And I, I think that principle has really played out in how the Reason ecosystem has developed. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's small things that you wouldn't think that people would get hung up on, like the camel casing convention. Um, if you think that people wouldn't be influenced significantly by syntax, I mean, you'd be surprised to find that people are influenced by the casing convention <laughs> of, of identifiers. And people will even split in a rift over the kind of camel case you use, not just whether or not you're using camel case, but should the, you know, should acronyms all be capitalized or should the, only the first <laughs> part of it be capitalized? And people feel so passionately about this stuff and we're not going to change that, um, but it's what we have to work with. Right. I also want to dive in a little bit more to what you said near the beginning that using standard ML and OCaml gives you tools to, to think about problems better. Um, that's one of the things that I love about using uh, a language with a rich, well-developed type system. And one of the things that I miss when, I, when I'm writing in JavaScript, could you dive in more? Maybe are there any examples that come to mind of a, a problem where with, with the tools that OCaml gives you, you're able to represent it better, think about it better? Yeah, so there's a few things that come to mind. One of them is just the set, the, the many small affordances given to doing the least complex thing. So in ML and OCaml, syntactically, and, uh, and just from the grammar standpoint, it's easier, it's, it's more difficult to mutate something. You have to create this reference cell. And that sounds like a downside. But actually, when the language, the grammar, and everything about it is just encouraging you to not mutate things, it kind of tends to be the default. And so when you're avoiding mutation by default, your programs are less complex than they would be if you had to go out of your way significantly to make something immutable and mutable was the default. Right. The other thing that, that is really helpful about this fully statically typed language with abstract data types and pattern matching is that it's implemented very well in OCaml. So that means when you consume a library, you have a really high degree of confidence that it's correct and that the types that the type system infers are also correct. And that if it compiles, then you know that there aren't going to be this huge class of runtime errors. You can just delete that from your brain's um, constant background energy. You don't have to think about that stuff anymore. Yeah. You have to think about other problems, like how do I get this uh, this darn program to type check? But, <laughs> uh, but you get to, but you at least get to remove that whole other set of concerns from your mental energy. Yeah. So my next question is something that people ask a lot when they come into the the Reason chat room or on Twitter. They say, this looks really cool. Is it ready yet? Can I use it? So I guess I would, I would phrase the question as how ready is reason? Or what are, the, what are the costs currently that people should take into account when they're evaluating it? So it is being used in production by Facebook and other companies that you can see on the ReasonML website. But I would say there is a certain kind of project that would most benefit from reason. Okay. Um, and other projects would benefit less. And that's just the truth because a lot of people don't care about um, about preventing runtime errors. It's just the for the stage of their product, they don't really care about accuracy or they don't care about um, quality because they're just in a very quick prototype stage and it's they're not even sure if it's going to work out. Now, after you do get used to using Reason and OCaml and ML, 
you actually can be more productive even at the prototype stage right. than, than if you were to start in some dynamically typed language. And I'm at that point now, and a lot of people are getting to that point as well. But when you're just learning, if you have something to ship this Friday, you know, and that's the deadline, and your whole entire app is already written in untyped JavaScript, and you're already a day behind, don't use a new technology right now. Um, there's a time to invest in that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And it's not always. Yeah, I, I love that. That's, that's a great example. And also, you also need to consider the nature of your team. Like, is your team interested in thinking about problems differently and learning a new tool that can help them be more productive? Sometimes people just, they don't want to learn. And you need to kind of get them to that place where, where they're ready. You don't want to impose new technologies on your team mm -hmm. when they're not supportive of it, especially if you're not planning on sticking around very long, right? Sure. You don't want to be the person that comes and brings in a new technology stack, regardless of what it is, any TypeScript or, or Flow or Reason, um, and then just drop and you're taking the, the, the responsibility of being the person who's, who's in charge of this new adoption in your team. You want to make sure that you stick around long enough to see it through and that you're uh, that you own that and educate the rest of the team on this new technology. Totally. So you mentioned that within Facebook there are there are teams adopting it and using it in production. How how hard is it to sell reason within Facebook? Or what what's some advice you could give maybe some of our listeners who want to convince their coworkers or their boss that this is a good idea? Well, I think Cheng Lu had a good um, a good post about that or a good blog or something about you know how to convince your 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 boss. But um, in my experience, we don't, we haven't really necessarily needed to do a lot of convincing. A lot of people are coming to us wanting to use it. Mm. And we just, we have to kind of tell people that we don't have the, you know, we may not have the capacity to ensure that your experience in getting onboarded is absolutely great. And so sure, at this point, you know, we have to tell people that we, we can't help them right now. And that, you know, once we get some things worked out, then we'll be able to automate some of the setup and then it'll be a lot smoother for you to onboard. So I don't know, but you know, Facebook is a large company with a lot of people and a, and a lot of people who have experience in various programming languages. So it's not the same as another company out there and who aren't, they're not innovating on technology. They're consuming technology and they're iterating on a separate product. Right. So it's going to look totally different. And I don't have a ton of great advice for that scenario, but there are people like Facebook and all the, the companies listed on the Reason website that are using it in production. And people are using OCaml in production and have been for decades. And it's um, it's a battle-tested language that's used in the financial industry. And Jane Street uses it for their high-frequency trading. It's very hardened. It's mature. The underlying type system is very mature. It doesn't change. It doesn't thrash you a lot. So it's incredibly stable. There are some parts of the reason tool chain, which are iterating rapidly, we had a really large upgrade for the latest syntax, and that went pretty smoothly. Um, Cheng Lu was awesome in helping the community automate their migration forward. And the reason React API, API might have a couple of changes, you know, similar to the React API. So things do move a little faster on the reason side than they do on the underlying language, but people can have confidence that the underlying technology has been hardened for a decade or more and that um, it is being used in production for some really important apps, including things built by Facebook, including things built by financial industry. And really all of Facebook's core technologies, except React, have been built on, uh, or you know, the core open source technologies have been built on OCaml. You have Hack, Flow, That's um, right. Now Reason, Infer is also built on OCaml. So if you look at the pattern, there's this interesting tool that hasn't really gotten a lot of attention that seems to be, it seems to produce a lot of really good results 
And people are able to wield this tool to build infrastructure that scales really well. Yeah, that's a great point. And th that's something I think about when comparing Reason to Flow or TypeScript, for example, where both of those have the, the type system is changing frequently. Uh, and that, that can cause a lot of maintenance churn, where with, with Reason, you have the confidence that this, this has been around for a while and it's battle tested. Yes. And that's not, that's not necessarily something that I care a lot about. I don't mind getting thrashed on changes. But other people who, who don't care, they're not, as, uh, they're not as passionate about the technology itself. They really just want to get stuff done. And so they don't want their technology to thrash on them a lot when, they, when you get a new upgrade. And I, people are saying that this is a benefit, and I wasn't even aware of it. Well, so speaking of changes, what, what do you see in the near future for Reason? So one of the things that I'm working on right now is an automated way to generate flow types from a compiled Reason project. The user experience that I'm going for here and that we're striving for is you write your application, your Reason React app, for example, and you don't really necessarily think about the fact that you will be interfacing with, uh, with an existing flow-typed JavaScript program. But you might annotate one function or one React component as with a very simple tag that just says, just export this thing to JavaScript or flow. And then as a result, it will automatically generate all of that FFI code. Yeah all of that code that bridges between the two languages in a statically typed way so that the flow types are respected on one side, the reason types are respected on the other. And any conversion that does need to happen in between, like a runtime conversion that maybe arrays are represented slightly differently, just suppose, then in that, um, in that automated conversion, it will also perform that for you so that you don't have to write anything. And because we are using the type system to drive all of this, we have really high fidelity, trusted types from the, uh, in this case, the buckle script compiler. That's really promising. Uh, that sounds like it'll it'll just really lower the any insecurity that there is when jumping over between JavaScript and, and Reason. Yeah, and when you think about it, if somebody has a, an existing flow project, for example, they have pretty good, I mean, they have good typing throughout the whole project. Right. Wouldn't that be a shame if by introducing a Reason React component into that, that they actually had to give up some safety when, you know, our goals of reason are to create high performance, statically typed, safe, you know, minimizing all of the bugs in, at runtime. Right. So that would be a shame if by adding a reason react component, you actually had to decrease your safety a little bit. Well, with a project like the thing that I'm working on right now, you don't have to because we automatically will generate the corresponding flow types. Yeah, that's awesome. Looking a little bit farther into, into the future, do you have any pie-in-the-sky dreams for Reason? Like, what, what would success look like as a language or community? Well, first I would mention a couple of the steps I'd like to see us take to get there. Okay. But what I would like to see is it would be great if the community could take some of the work that we're prototyping right now with this automatic flow type generation and apply that to TypeScript so that you can write a library once in Reason and you can output the types for these various JavaScript type systems and have it integrate with any of them. Because right now, library maintainers, they have to decide up front, you know, am I going to support Flow? Am I going to support TypeScript? Both. And then keep them right. in sync. It would be really great if you could just write your library in the statically typed reason language and then run this tool and have your library be exposed to all the different variants of JavaScript static typing without actually having to write any of these type definitions because the OCaml compiler that we use infers all of it. Totally. So that would be one really great step to getting Reason into the hands of more developers and incrementally adopted inside of existing projects. And I think that's really powerful. Getting it incrementally adopted inside of existing projects is the path to success. 
So what happens next? When people have this tool integrated into their existing apps, typically it's going to be a JavaScript app. And that's why BuckleScript has also been so helpful, both at Facebook and in open source, because it makes it really easy to incrementally adopt just one part of your app you can rewrite in Reason. And uh, you don't have to write the whole thing all at once. And it integrates with Webpack. It integrates with all your existing JS tools. But once this is in everybody's hands, I think that there's something really powerful that has just happened that isn't really apparent. People just learned a new language. They incorporated it. It's kind of, it's normal now. But this new language that they learned actually is far more capable than they might have initially thought. Because if you learn Reason, you're actually learning OCaml and you're actually getting access to all of the benefits that OCaml has. And that includes the ability to natively compile your program ahead of time into a very fast executable, something that starts up faster and is more lean than what you would typically be able to get in a JavaScript VM, which also relies on a JIT to have to figure the stuff out at runtime. Right. So if people have this new ability, I want to see what the community can do to take this, to take all of the dev, the developer tools that we build for web development, React, user interfaces, and I want to see them take them to the next level by compiling them ahead of time into native programs. Gotcha. So, so all these CLI tools that we use, analysis, linting, building, bundling, that, that can some, sometimes take you know multiple seconds on, on a normal-sized app or a lot longer than that on really big ones and, and just get the native compilation benefit from Reason. Yes, and it's not just about these. Uh, you're, you're right, that build tools and static analysis, these are all things that would be that uh, OCaml and therefore Reason are really well-suited towards building. And if you look at, again, a lot of the things that Facebook has had success with in their open source technologies, a lot of them are using OCaml, like Flow and Hack. Um, yeah. Infer and reason. And they're processing these trees of ASTs and it does this really well. So I'd love to see a lot of the developer tooling go native so that people can stop being paused on the command line while they wait for some build tool to run because it can happen often, you know, three times as fast or more. Some of the tools that we've ported internally over to native reason, we saw huge speed ups over five times as fast. But a lot of that isn't necessarily just the runtime, but it's also. Uh, some of the libraries that we chose to run or that we, that we chose to import. But still, the fact that you can instantly start up one of these binary executables is really powerful because it means that you can, you can write tools that are in the spirit of the Unix philosophy that start up really quickly, die fast, and they do one thing with, without having to run these demons that spin in the background and handle requests. And you have to babysit these, these things that can get into a corrupt state and um, manage the connection and have some watcher that kills the ones. It's just... Right. It's so much more complex to write these to write these tools that stay alive for a long time. When I just want to write a Vim plugin that formats some text, and I want to spin up that executable really fast, and then I want it to die, and then that's it. And I don't want to have to wait 200 milliseconds for this thing to start up because I'll notice that in my editor. Right. Yeah. Well, that that's a very attractive future to me. Can you think of any unsolved problems in the reason language or community or ecosystem that uh, that we haven't talked about yet that you would really like to see solved or maybe that you've seen solved in other languages that we can work on adopting? Yes, there's a couple of things that uh, I think go really hand in hand with that that vision that we, we talked about where I just want to write this program and then I want to be able to have it work in many contexts. I want to be able to spit out flow types for it when I'm compiling to JS with BuckleScript, TypeScript, uh, type definitions when I'm compiling to JS with BuckleScript, but I'm incorporating it into a TypeScript app. I want to be able to run that natively. And then I want to 
I want to capitalize on that native compil that native compilation to get better startup time for my for my tools and my programs. In that in that world where you're just you're writing in this one abstract language that can fulfill all these many roles, I want to see this. Uh, I want to see reason applied to these other domains like mobile. I want to see reason um, incorporated into something like React Native, where you can write your application, compile it into a really fast program, and have it instantiate native views but without any JavaScript VM anywhere in that whole pipeline. So that's one thing that would be really awesome if you could just write in this one abstract language and have it fulfill all the developer tools natively, all the browser uh, compilation targets when you're deploying to the web, but then also native executables when you want to build mobile applications. Yeah. It could be the one language that can really do it all well. That's a, that is a high mission. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty ambitious, but I mean we're taking the right steps to get there because the first step is just to get it into developers' hands so that it's a normal thing. Like this is a thing I people want to write their apps in Reason because they like the feel of the language that OCaml gives and the syntax that we provide, yeah. the bindings that we give with with uh, with Reason React. It's a more productive it's a more productive tool chain for many people. So they're not even using it right now because they want to get all these other benefits of writing ones and then being able to run it in all these different contexts. Yeah. But then if if this is already established, the appeal of being able to do these all these other cool things is just so natural that it I imagine it will just happen. Okay. But we do need the community to help and get involved um and helping out with some of the React native infrastructure would be one really great way to get involved. And it's something that we should come together on and and write a a roadmap that explores all the different options and and steps to get started so that we can work towards that. And the other thing that would be really cool to get the the community involved in um, is package management. And this is something that we are making strides towards with the Easy Package Manager. The goal of Easy is to allow you to integrate native modules from OPAM or anywhere else, or even native modules from NPM, and integrate that with your typical dev workflow, which is package JSON based, where you pull in other dependencies on NPM modules, and you can you can combine all of these things in order to build a web app or even a native command line tool that you ship to NPM and share with people. So this is something else that is it's really hard. There's a lot of moving pieces, but we are making great progress towards somewhat quietly. But um, Andre Pop has been leading the charge there and um, has been has been developing some really impressive uh, milestones. Okay. So so things that we're still trying to solve are the the native compilation piece or or being able to target many different things. And there was a community call out for if you're interested in, in React Native infrastructure, I guess talk to Jordan. A any any other unsolved problems? Those are the two ones that are um, sort of further out and and uh, they require a lot of community involvement in order to get there. There's a lot of other cool tools that I'm not even thinking about that people surprise me with all the time on the Discord channel. Yeah, where people uh, there's a there's a there's a room in the Discord channel called Look What I Built, and you can go there and you just share something that you've prototyped, even if it's your first thing. The community is really welcoming, and I encourage everybody to come check it out. And uh, maybe Jared will post a link to the to the Discord invite. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Well, are there are there any community projects you would like to highlight, or any last thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I think that uh, one thing I wanted to call out was the reasonably typed project. So the project that I'm working on that I mentioned earlier was uh, where we're starting in Reason, and you just want to add or one simple attribute that allows you to export that uh, that module or that that function to Flow. Well, reasonably typed is doing the opposite direction, which is also really valuable. It's where you have all these existing flow typed or TypeScript typed libraries out there on NPM, and you want to be able to consume those in a type safe way from, from your Reason React app. 
So they generate the bindings that go from flow into buckle script. And so that's also a very important piece of this interop puzzle, which is really compelling. And I think people should go check that out and help out that project and collaborate and contribute to it. And of course, with another project that I wanted to call out was BuckleScript, which has been amazingly helpful in helping us get Reason incrementally adopted. I mean, it's it's a it's a key collaborator to our Reason community, and so everybody's everybody's aware of it. But I just wanted to give a special call out to it because it's been very helpful, especially internally at Facebook, where we need to really be mindful of the amount of bytes that we're adding, the amount of build time that we're adding to the developer tool chain. And BuckleScript has been really good in helping us minimize all those downsides to incorporating a new language into uh, an existing app. Awesome. One thing I'd like to call out that showed up in the Look What I Built channel recently was a a JavaScript to Reason translator that I think looks at the runtime representation of JavaScript objects to to generate bindings. It's, it's a cool project. I'll add a link in the show notes. Yes, I, I noticed that too. And I was uh, I'm pretty excited about that. If people could help out with that project and, and drive that forward, that would be really great because what I can see it being used for is taking an existing JavaScript app that you have and then running this tool on it and it converts it into a reason a reason file. So what that allows you to do is rapidly port over an existing code base, still incrementally, which is great. But then imagine what happens once you, uh, you port enough of that over to reason. Now you can start flipping on native compilation and get a lot of these JS build tools that we've already built and it's going to be hard to pour all of them over to Reason you know, overnight. This could speed up that process so that we can get them into Reason form and then capitalize on all those benefits that we get from the OCaml tool chain. Right. Awesome. Well, this has been a, a very interesting episode. I've enjoyed learning about the roots of Reason and really a lot of the selling points of using a stronger, mature, well-typed language. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jordan. Well, thank you, Jared. Okay, and we'll see you all next time.